Hi, this is Rebecca. And this is Brandon. And we are a couple of theater nerds who are not going to remember what we are a couple of theater nerds who enjoy movies and enjoy talking about movies so join us as we talk about the movies we have just seen and are probably going to disagree on this is the drive home reviews podcast no not at all It's a gimmick now that we can't remember yeah, that. Well, you know. And I, I said it before. I'll say it again. The funny part is you wrote it. Uh, and like yeah. the first few reviews, you were like mad at me because you had to hand me the script. Not mad I, at you. You were like, you. oh, I'm like, here. <laughs> like, that much I had to remember where I wrote the script. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, wow. Since we've recorded, yeah, we. Um, it's not that we haven't seen movies. No, we have a list of movies that we now have to. Yeah, we got a backlog. <laughs> we got to get to, but you know, we got sick. We got kids. Right, and you know, um, the past week I've like I have, you know, mental health issues like uh, depression and ADHD, and my medication was being adjusted, and and uh, that is a struggle it is yeah. not an easy thing to deal with so um there might have been a review but it would not have been one that was pleasant to listen to <laughs> or, I think. or record <laughs> or record so uh yeah so but that got us thinking about the subject of mental health in film and how it's portrayed and if the portrayal of it has changed you know um especially more recently well, I'll let you kind of. Well, the, the early ones that I think of are things like uh, Harvey and gaslighting. Mm. Um, yeah. Gaslight, not gaslighting, but yeah. Um, what are some early. The one that always comes to mind, see, it's interesting you mentioned those because to me, Harvey, I never associated with mental illness. But it's he's having a, a schizophrenic break, right? Like only, only if you believe it from the point of view of the, of the ant. Okay. Which that's that's one of those movies that I think you can debate about because from her point of view, he's having a schizophrenic break. But from his point of view in the movie and the play are told very specifically from his perspective, this is just a very normal thing. It's not right. a it's not a an issue. But that is that is part of mental illness, is that you don't necessarily know that what you are perceiving and going through is not real. It's like if you have severe depression and you feel like everybody in the world hates you, mm. is it true that everybody in the world hates you? No, but that doesn't make it feel any re less real to you. True. That's fair. Okay. I always think of um, kind of one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Okay. You know, in a psychiatric ward and right. the kind of brutal treatment of, um, mentally ill people and the, and the vast misunderstanding of mental illness at that time period. Right. And what is yeah. perceived as mental Ill illness as opposed to neurodivergency as mm -hmm. opposed to just gender differences. Yeah. You know, you think of the, the women in the, in the fifties and sixties who were put into facilities because they dared to be independent mm -hmm. and that ended up with lobotomies. Yeah. So. I think nowadays, I think, especially recently i think there's a greater attempt made to showcase the differences in mental illness and what it's like being mentally ill or having some kind of problem i don't know if they're all successful yes but i do i do think there's an effort being made right. but i guess whether or not it is successful is dependent on again kind of your point of view i don't know how you know but i think that there was a big turn especially in the last 10 years people being more vocal podcasters especially being more vocal about mental health um and kind of building a community of people around i think of like the people from my favorite murder and the obsessed network who actively talk about you know, um, their mental health issues or things they struggle with and making it 
feel more mainstream, making people feel less alone. Mm -hmm. Social media has actually helped with that. You know, one of the things social media has helped with. Um, and then, of course, with the pandemic and the advent of TikTok, you have more education being done about mental health issues, um, which is interesting for me because uh, I grew up in a house of four kids and my brother very obviously had ADHD um, in the typical fashion that you would expect growing up. Uh, and then my, my youngest sister uh, was uh, showcasing more, more symptoms and things when she got to be in her teen years and twenties. And then, um, then in her, I think she was probably late twenties, early thirties. My middle sister was diagnosed and I somehow had thought that I had escaped this ADHD that I would, because I never had issues in school. I was always very focused and driven and had great grades. And then I realized a lot of my issues um, that I have, that I struggle with are derived from ADHD. And I would never have known that without the education um, that the internet gives <laughs> currently. Um, and so I think that there's a more open discussion about it. And so we are, I think we are getting more media surrounding that. I think of the movie we watched and, and reviewed recently, A Good Person. Yeah. Um, struggling with substance abuse disorder. I watched one last year with Sigourney Weaver, uh, a good house. I think it's called about addiction and about, uh, mm -hmm. alcoholism, which was really well done. Well, and I think that, you know, um, the idea of like alcohol and substance abuse disorders be being treated as a mental health issue rather than a character issue in films is a big thing. And yeah, I, I, I just, just kind of out of curiosity while we were talking, just kind of looked up, you know, movies that deal with mental illness and you got things like it, the list it gives, you know, things like a beautiful mind, uh, girl interrupted split. Right. Which I, I, I think that is to a discussion of mental illness, what a stump is to a tree. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, know? you have something that's, like split, and your mental your mental illness is being treated as a a MacGuffin. Yeah, like you know, a plot device, or you know, um, and really making you into the villain. Mm -hmm. Like that's kind of the opposite of what we're trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I don't know if that belongs on the list because again, that's a that's a plot device. That's a Right. That's and again, I don't. I mean, I'm not a doctor by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that Hollywood loves diving into the personality disorder, you know, well for TV and yes. movies. You know, we saw an episode of a uh, Well, we saw. I was thinking more of the episode of Lie to Me, right? Where he's trying to diagnose the girl, and she's got three or four personalities, and some of them lie, and some of them don't. That was a weird way I said that. Doomed. Doomed. Um, Girl Interrupted. What do you do? Did you watch Girl Interrupted? Uh, many, many years ago. Like a long time ago. I don't recall it that well. Um, it has, it's been a while. Well, I watched Girl Interrupted. Like we, like my friends and I watched it multiple times. Angelina Jolie is highly recorded as my first crush on a female. <laughs> um, but... I, I I wonder if we went back and watched that, how those illnesses would have been portrayed. Um, like a lot of the girls who were in there didn't necessarily need to be in a mental health facility. They definitely weren't getting the care that they needed, but that was kind of the point of the, the movie. Um, so yeah, that would be an interesting one to, to revisit and see how it, holds up yeah it's got it's got other things like black swan right um which that, once again a split personality disorder um or i'm sorry a multiple personality disorder being portrayed as something villainous yeah um 
uh, it's got Silver Linings Playbook. I didn't like that one. Um, you're not a big Bradley Cooper guy. And I'm honestly not a big Jennifer Lawrence guy, despite yeah. our last names being similar. <laughs> like I'm honestly not. I don't. I don't. I don't think she's bad, and I'm, I'm certainly not a Bradley Cooper person. Right. That's true. You know. That's true. I'm not sure. It's been so long since I saw that that I would have to like revisit what makes that a. Uh, um, I guess because of, uh, he's dealing with PTSD, right? He. I forget. They're both dealing with something, and I'm. I'm sorry that I. Uh, I feel like I, I didn't come well researched for this discussion. Uh, well, I, I feel like a lot of times in the past, mental health issues have been seen as either the thing that makes you special, as in a beautiful mind, girl interrupted, like the thing that makes you that manic pixie dream person, mm. girl or boy, or the thing that makes you the villain. I mean, even things like Shelter Island. Yeah. Um, but now are they just used as a character reference point or are they more um, along the lines of, are we actually seeing more accurate portrayals? I don't know. And I, I, that is a very difficult question to answer from our, from my perspective, you know, cause you, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know how you answer that. Um, satisfactorily. We have seen several movies in the past year that deal with mental health. Um, the one with twin girls. Yeah. The, 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 the something twins. I cannot remember what the name of that movie it was. It was, that's how memorable it was. I know, but I know we, we reviewed it. No, we didn't. So we didn't review we, it. We didn't review it. Oh, we talked about it. Yeah, we we talked about it. <laughs> we didn't share it with you people. Because, uh, uh, yeah. you know, we, we, we want to keep that discussion for ourselves. <laughs> uh, that makes it sound dirty. Yeah, no. <laughs> Discussing um, that movie is just for us. Well, that dealt with <laughs> um, girls who were dealing with their own health issues by having kind of a shared delusion. Yeah. You know, um, twin sisters, it's a based on a true story so i saw one a while ago um it was called lucy in the sky and it was based on a true story it had uh natalie portman and it. it was either natalie portman or kiara knightley i hate to say that i can't remember i think it was natalie portman and she she plays an astronaut who and this is again a very true story who after going into space and kind of you know seeing the expansiveness of the universe her mind kind of snapped right and when she came back to earth she couldn't quite um bring her brain back yeah and and she just kind of got further and further away i, I remember hearing the true story of her how she was stalking this guy and drove like hours wearing an adult diaper oh gosh yeah yeah i think that they took from multiple different places but that part was definitely based on a true story. yeah no the whole the whole thing was oh my and, gosh and i remember hearing the news story and going oh my god that woman's crazy and then this this movie kind of talked about you know she went up and saw the incomprehensibility of the universe and and if you're you're not mentally healthy yeah with, which is why they're supposed to have so many psychological dramas mm -hmm. let's talk about that world crazy though that is widely regarded by people in the mental health profession as a word that you should not use in regards to people anymore yeah like mentally ill irrational possibly well you know um, you know what's interesting um the, apparently from what i understand the word insane does not appear in any uh, psychological text. Maybe not the, anymore. No, the, the term insane was coined by the legal system uh, to classify people yes. as criminally insane or not willing to stand trial. But the term insanity, at least, you know, I, again, I don't know now, did not exist within psychological um, text or lingo. That was right. never that was never a term they used. Right, because I mean that just that's so broad, and you have like, I you when I taught social studies, I would discuss this with my students. When you have just a generic overview, 
anyone can be insane. You can, you can label anybody as insane or disabled or, you know, because, um, you're not giving specific details about what that entails, you know? Um, whereas medically you're supposed to have a more specific label yeah. so that you actually know what's going on and things can be treatable. Uh, another one that we've watched that dealt, I felt like dealt really well with mental illness was the one with Pete Davidson and Kaylee. Oh, the, uh, meet cute. Meet cute. Yes. Yes. Um, so really kind of nailed in without it being, um, without it being pandering or without it being insulting, really nailed in, I thought, what it felt like to be, you know, medically depressed like that. Yeah. So I thought that was a, an interesting take. And it never made her out to be the bad guy because she was struggling with that. Yeah. Um, which is something that I think is is something I'm very sensitive to. <laughs> <laughs> we're watching the an episode of House. We've been rewatching House. One of my favorite shows, by the way. Right. And uh the woman, you know, got like postpartum psychosis and went nuts and like smothered her baby. And it was all down to celiac disease. And I'm like, oh, celiac disease and postpartum depression. You're really trying to nail me to the ground here. <laughs> like, boy, make me feel like a villain in the making there. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, uh, um, I think I remember an episode this past year of Lone Star 911 where they talked about the term crazy. You know, um, and and how it wasn't necessarily something that was used anymore because it's it can be hurtful to people in the mental health community. Um, and to see that on a on a television show was pretty was pretty new and nuanced. I thought so. Yeah. Anyways, any more to add? No, uh, it's one of those things. Like again, I feel like I came unprepared to the assignment because I think <laughs> if I if I thought about it, we could come up with a whole lot of characters uh, with you know different portrayals of fractured psyches and right. You know, um, you know, I, I hate to invoke his name here, but that was a that was a typical character in the Joss Whedon. Right. Um, canon of characters. He had a lot, and almost every show he did had that character who was broken. You know, yes. Drusilla, River, uh, Alpha in Doll's House. Yes. You know. Um, I have to wonder about his fascination with broken women. Mm. Um, well, Alpha was a guy. Right, but but overall, but you got two to three. Yeah, you're right. I mean, even or two to one, I should say. He kind of not even just Drusilla, but Faith. He broke Faith mm -hmm. down too, into a broken person. But okay, now that that's getting off into a whole other conversation because I think that was one of the most Faith was one of the most interesting characters in the entire um, the entire universe and her story arc from broken to redemption to putting herself back together was one of the. I think one of the best best arcs there was in the entire series. I'm not disagreeing with you, but yeah. I'm also saying that as a person, he did Faith dirty. He basically threw everything at her and kind of made her into almost a villain. See, but again, I feel, I feel this is a separate conversation because uh, I would say that was the point, right? That she was supposed that that's that's how it was supposed to be. That she was constantly the world was coming down on her either by happenstance or her own making and she was just getting further and further lost into it she was you know basically a, a reflection of angel right well that's what i'm saying that, is you know that like it almost was an experiment of how how much abuse can you heap on a person without them breaking mm. so i don't know Joss Whedon is a touchy. Yeah, that's hard. That's hard. Subject. That's hard to get into these days. Well, it's what's difficult is how do you view his work without measuring it against 
what he was like how mm. do you view it without viewing yeah that is that is difficult sexist, yeah that know, is a very difficult so anyways yeah. that's a different that's that, that, a different that's a, that is a whole discussion <laughs> uh, but like but i think what i feel like and you know maybe because i am a person who deals with mental health um i feel like we've gotten better it's like the discussion we had with champions and the, the disability community. I feel like we have gotten better, but I don't feel like we're at a place where we can stop and rest on our laurels. Yeah. Like we need to keep pushing to do even better. Um, because representation matters. We've talked about that a lot. Yep. Yes, we have. Representation matters. And so healthy representation of people with mental health issues, not as villains, will make a difference in the long run. Yeah. So, anyways. So, so now that we've talked about that, um, let's. Well, you know what? That's not too bad. Far off because uh, what's his name? Star Lord does start off very depressed mm. at the beginning of this movie. So after so, that discussion, let's uh, let's talk about the space raccoon movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We will be back after this. And thank you for joining us after that word from Irons. Yes, Irons, do you like your clothes to be flat and hot? Then buy an iron, particularly a pink iron with a button at the top. I'm just doing an ad for what I'm seeing sitting around us yes, right now. Like a anchor man yeah. when Steve Carell looks around and some I love lap. Yeah, so just, you know. Uh, anyway. Someday we'll get we'll get people to pay for this. So we um, <laughs> the movie we're going to be talking about today is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yep. So the long awaited conclusion to the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy. So tell me how you feel about Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it's hard to find people who don't love Guardians of the Galaxy. And what a... I just remember it was such a surprise when they released the first one amidst the first wave of... Marvel movies. Of Marvel movies. And you had all these kind of, you know, Captain America, Iron Man, Hulk. And then yeah. here comes Guardians of the Galaxy. Such an obscure... That nobody had ever heard of. No. Uh, even hardcore comic fans... And it's, um, there were, as, as kind of, you know, ridiculous as it sounds for superhero movies, a lot of those movies were kind of rooted in realism, the Marvel universe in the first wave. Yeah. You know, um, yes, Iron Man had a fancy flying suit. Yes, Captain America had a serum. And then, you know, Thor was a god, but there was really a sense of realism mm -hmm. in those movies. And then you had guardians of the galaxy and all of a sudden we're exploring space. Yeah. And it was such a, such a big, bright, beautiful yeah. um, space opera. Like I remember seeing it cause it was on the tail of green lantern. Yes. And that just how, and you know, again, don't uh, we keep dissing on the DC universe, but there's a reason, um, <laughs> you know, this, this bleak kind of bland oh. colorless emotionless film and then here comes uh guardian i remember leaving guardians of the galaxy the first one my best friend and i went and saw it and i remember saying so why couldn't dc or star wars get that right <laughs> like that was like how is that so freaking hard and then um, what you because you have some really ridiculous things going on here. Yeah, you have a raccoon superhero and a talking tree and a talking tree and I mean Drax. Yeah, and, and you know, a professional wrestler as an actor. Well, that was one of Batista's first roles. Yeah, um, it was not something that on paper should have done as well as. And it then did. I don't think it was until the second one came out that people started reevaluating the first one and going, wow, there's actually a lot more going on in these movies. Right. Then really we kind of gave credence to, um, before. I, I think know, it really comes down to James Gunn. Oh, definitely. Yeah. James Gunn. Um, what's interesting about him is that, well, and this is something we've talked about this before, you know, if you're a lucky enough director to, get into the Marvel universe, you're kind of made after that. Yeah. Um, but 
prior to that, like he had done Scooby Doo movies. He wrote he wrote the Scooby Doo movies. He directed a movie called Super with Rain Wilson, which I did not enjoy. He directed he wrote and directed Slither, which yeah. was interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy was really like his first. Yeah, and it just seems like he has done. Um, with all three of these, again, and it's, it's not saying that the other Marvel movies aren't about anything. I think they very much are. But this one is, this series, I think more than most of them are about, um, have more that they are about under the surface. And yet he puts a very beautiful shine and amazing and world and colorful characters so that you don't. solid sense of humor. Yeah. That you don't necessarily notice the the deeper meaning at first, and it's kind of very slowly been stripped away. And this one, I feel, is mostly deeper meaning, right? While also floating around people in yeah, like. yeah, like the weirdest <laughs> aliens, Nathan Fillion in, in that weird well, security guard suit. I think that everyone can like just like just. That moment at the beginning of Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, where Chris Pratt is coming into um, this the temple, yes, and he, that Red Bone song is playing, mm -hmm. and like, and you just knew that this is going to be different. Yeah, that was kind of a declar. Um, a, a, a film critic I used to have a lot of respect for. You say like, what is the defining moment, the defining scene of a series? You know, the thing that you don't have to have watched the movie, but that gives you the entirety of what that movie is, you know, you like you think of Spider-Man, it's the upside down kiss. Right. You know, the the little mermaid where she's jumping out of the water for that last note of part of your world. Oh, yes, which we will discuss yes. later this week. Yes, we will. Um, um and for the and for this series, I think it is that opening of the first movie with him dancing around right. this alien world to 70s rock. That's that's like yeah. a declaration of principle of what these films are going to be. And there's two parts of that little scene there that like, I really want to kind of dissect is that has continued through the movies. First of all, the soundtracks mm -hmm. focusing on the seventies and one, the eighties and two, and now the nineties and three. Um, I really just paint that world. Yeah. Uh, and there's something very fun about this retro music in this futuristic world yeah don't you think yeah but like i say it was it was a very james gunn i i mentioned this when i reviewed the suicide squad because he mm -hmm. does the same thing there but it felt to me like the music in that one was very kind of haphazard right because it's that's what jim gunn james gunn is known for as opposed to it fits the story and the the emotional drive of the characters and i feel like Music is very important to his directorial style. I feel like I he so, yeah. he really directs to the soundtrack, and I, I I appreciate that. I'm one that thinks that a good soundtrack is vital to a good movie because it sets the tone and the mood, and I, he really directs to that. See, and I'm not very musically driven, and so if I notice the soundtrack and I feel like it fits well, then that's that must mean it's doing something right mm. um but the other thing is the way that james gunn directs an action sequence is just mesmerizing mm. i am not one for car chases um frankly gunfights and knife fights in movies tend to bore me but the way that james gunn directs action sequences is just kind of hypnotizing mm. well he masters you know, again, sorry to, again, bringing up ghosts here, but uh, he does what Joss Whedon did very well and makes it feel like a big splash page from from a comic. Right. Where one movement leads to the next, and wherever you look on the page, it's leading you back around into a... Something new. Yeah, so he, he's very good at that. And, there's this, and he's very good at... He's established his characters. He knows his characters. And he's very good at in those big action sequences of showcasing each character, what they bring to the table, and what their strengths and how they complement one another, how they uh, make up for one another's shortcomings. 
you know, it's a big, his fight scenes are not just fight scenes. They're metaphors for the family. And how they're, they're working together, how they're interacting with each other and always with like a sprinkling of comedy. Yeah. Well, that's, that's another thing about kind of combining two conversations. You look at the opening of guardians of the galaxy two, Mm-hmm. Where Groot is dancing, or Baby Groot is dancing around while they're having the big fight with the monster, and that at first that looks like just kind of a throwaway scene, right. but since the one of the core messages about that film is parenting, yeah, like each one of the Guardians has a parenting moment with right. Groot taking care of him as that mm-hmm. sequence goes on. I need to point out that is not my observation, Lindsay Ellis. <laughs> um, in her in her video um, on Guardians of the Galaxy two, so I don't want to take credit for someone else's. Ah uh, yes, Lindsay and Lindsay Ellis, the only woman who could steal your heart away from me. She cannot steal my heart, <laughs> but she. It, there are a few, and I'm sad that the YouTube world treated her so bad that she quit YouTube. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not that she steals my heart. Is that you find there are? I don't think there are many better film analysts. Yeah. Out there, so sorry that she. You know. Um, uh, but anyway, um, so so let's talk a little bit about this movie. So the core of this movie is fairly simple. Um, Rocket is injured in a fight with Adam Warlock, who was a creature designed by the Gold Folks from the second movie right. to get revenge um but because of the specific way rocket is built for lack of better terminology um they can't just heal him naturally they have to basically find the person that made him and so the guardians go on a journey of course of self-discovery and reforming the family and all that but to find our main villain the high evolutionary Played by and if we're mispronouncing that name, we deeply apologize. We did look it up. Yes. <laughs> um, and we get flashbacks about Rocket's origins, where he came from. Yes. Um, and all of this ties back into all of that. So I think right away, one of the more interesting things is that this is, the other two movies have been primarily about Star-Lord. Yes. They've been his story. Um, but this is very much Rocket's story. Right. You know, and, and paying off his character. Star- Not to say that we don't get a good dose of Star-Lord. No, but it, it does definitely feel like Star-Lord has taken a, a welcome step back. Right. And uh, they put another character at the forefront of the action. And I think that that's one of the reasons why this movie works so well. It's not, again... All the characters get their moments and all of the characters, something James Gunn has been very good about with these series. Um, but this is very much Rocket's story. Right. Uh, and it is very much Rocket. But you, like you said, you do get, you know, you get um, some of what Mantis is going through, some of what Drax is going through. Um, oh, gosh. Like, there was a Nebula. moment with Drax mm. where, like, I just, like, it just, like broke me down and I started crying. Um, but um yes, Nebula and Gamora, their interactions, Gamora doesn't remember start because of the blip because of of the time travel and she's not the same Gamora. Yes, and it's kind of Star Lord is grieving the end of that relationship. Um so there is a lot going on with the other characters, but yeah, very centered around Rocket, which is interesting because he's in a coma for the majority. Yeah. Of the- <laughs> so so yeah, so we're getting, but we are getting a lot of um, flashbacks, right? And, and they bring in a lot of fan, uh, like they've been people have been waiting to see Lola Otter since the first one, Lila, Lila, um, yeah, Lila Otter, who like. Played by Linda Cardellini. Yeah. Just sweet and like, oh man, like just these animals who are very clearly CGI. Like, there's no hiding that. Motion thing. capture. Mo- sorry. Yes. But um, but are I'm trying to 
find the right words to say. So, of course, high evolutionary, he is trying to perfect humanity. He's trying, trying to, to perfect life. He's trying yes. to create the perfect life form. And so Rocket and his group of, of so, experiments yeah. are part of him trying to increase, you know, um, life to perfection. Um, and the whole point of the high evolutionary is when he's done with your, if he, once he has figured out how to make your species a little bit better, he's going to destroy your entire. Yeah. He'll destroy the, the, the original batch and move on to the next. Which is interesting because we have been having conversations about eugenics and, um, perfection of life and, and things in, in terms of Star Trek and, mm -hmm. and, and, and the civil rights movement and, yeah, that's it's just been a topic in our house lately. Yeah, a topic of conversation. But anyways, um, so you have Lila and Floor, which is a bunny, uh, like a bunny with like wheels, cybernetic legs, oh, like right. spider the legs, legs, and Teeth the walrus with Teeth. the wheels. Yes, um, and Rocket, of course, uh, in this group of of experiments and they become kind of a little family, like his, his little family before guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. Um, and I want to say this, uh, of course, those are some of the most beautiful scenes of the film. Um, but I, I've been saying this since, since I saw the movie, I think we need to give a huge shout out to the unsung hero of these movies. And that's Sean gun. Oh Yeah. Who who plays uh, what Cragger, whatever? Oh, um, whatever, whatever. I can't remember. Let me look it the, up. Real yeah, Cragger. You know he's James Gunn's Craglin. brother, Craglin. You know he's James Gunn's brother, probably best known as Kirk from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Um, because for all of the films that Rocket has been in, he's been the on-set motion capture performer, right? For it. And he gets no credit. Bradley Cooper gets, get, the, gets the credit. Yeah. He comes in. He does the voice. Not unjustly. He does a great voice. Yeah. It fits the character really well. So I'm not I'm not ragging on Bradley Cooper. Um, but it's to say that it's it, this isn't James Brolin coming in and playing Thanos. Right. Or Andy Serkis playing Gollum or Caesar. I think it was Josh Brolin. James Brolin. Josh Brolin. Like Josh Brolin. Yeah, you're right. Thank you. Um, this is this is several different performers creating one character, right. and I don't and I don't think that Sean Gunn gets the credit he deserves for his part in creating this character. You know, I really loved that. Like he started out as kind of this like silly sidekick character, Craglin, in the first one, but like his part in the movies has grown, and he plays a significant part in this one well i think i think that that is also what stands out a little bit about the the guardians films as even opposed to other mcu characters is that the entire cast feels like they grow and evolve as the films go on and with other series um maybe the main character does and maybe some of their you know, they go through name changes and get new powers or something like that. But the, the supporting cast stays usually fairly much the same. Wong is still Wong without a lot of alternations to his character or his worldview throughout his many appearances. But the Guardians characters all have... I mean, Nebula was one of the villains in the first film. Right. So was Yondu. And now they're... Um... Part of the guardians yeah so I, th I think he there has been a steady evolution of all the characters and not again not just through their films but through the two avengers films or the thor movie that they guest starred in do you know what's interesting too is that you really do there are some truly bad characters like the high evolutionary but you also have a lot of middle of the road characters i mean star lord himself started out as a ravager and the groups of rav Ravagers led by Sylvester Stallone, they have a certain honor to them, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and they're not purely bad guys. That's not, you know, that's not something that exists in most of the characters of this universe. Yeah. So um, let's talk 
Uh, other side characters. Uh, let's see. Drax. Drax was an interesting <laughs> one for this because we know that Batista has said he's, he's... He's done. He's done. He doesn't want to play Drax anymore. Which I don't... I think he means right now, but you offer anybody enough money and enough time passes, it'll be like, yeah, okay, I'll come back and do a cameo. Well, I think I mean, I can understand him. I, I, I think that he doesn't want to get pigeonholed into yeah. former wrestler play superhero, like deadpan superhero type of thing. And we've seen in the past yeah. year, the range that he has. Yep, definitely. So he's, so, um, but yeah, so I, I'm not. I got I got a sidetrack. I I don't necessarily. I think he could come back if if he really wanted to, or if the story was good enough. But for all intents and purposes, yeah, he said this is his last outing as as Drax. Right, and I think that it really served him well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because Drax has always been the character that I think has gotten the least amount of development. Right. As the film, he's always been the the comic relief of and he of the group. Serves as the comic, yeah. Relief. Um, he and and Mantis have a really good, oh, they're fun. Like inner, like the really good chemistry in this. Um, I love this this bit that she has going where he like he, she either makes him fall in love with random things or makes random people fall in love with him. Yeah. Like it's just this really, really fun little thing. But um, what was interesting is that in the midst of all this other stuff they've got going on, they also kind of make him, I don't know. It's not redeemable because he didn't need to be redeemed, but really kind of. They explore another facet of his the character piece that we knew was there because he mentioned it in the previous films the fact that he was a husband and a father right but all of that's been kind of pushed to backstory status and never really got in the showcase that that's a huge part of who he is right and i think that that really does um come to play in this one it Mm -hmm. serves him well yeah yeah and then mantis also trying to kind of figure out where she stands in the world because you know she'd been basically a slave her entire life and she doesn't really know kind of where she she fits yeah um and nebula kind of trying to like i think she's done a really good 180 and you know she's part fully part of the guardians now which doesn't mean she's soft and fluffy which was it was great if they had made her character turn all of a sudden soft and fluffy and sentimental, that would have been terrible. Yeah. But she still is acerbic and sarcastic and mean as she always was. She's just one of the good guys. Yeah. You know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and of course, um, I think one of the, we talked a little bit about how um, Chris Pratt, Star-Lord is more of the side character, but they still go in because his biggest story arc that all the nerds were, mad about is how come he never got the girl at the end of the movie you know oh he never got the girl what's he gotta do you know he saved the universe twice and they miss missing the point of you know he's not a complete human being getting the girl is not a trophy right that you win it's you know you're you're just because you saved the universe gamora and nebula both saved the universe and Mm -hmm. how come they didn't get the girl slash guy yeah like Come on, nerds! So at least be not sexist about your nerdiness. Don't try try not to be sexist about your sexism. <laughs> I mean, um, and I I was worried that you know with Gamora being back that and this being the final p the final movie they were finally going to wrap quote unquote wrap up that storyline and have them end up together. Yeah, and I like that they made a strong statement in this is that this Gamora is not the same Gamora. Right. She does not have, and it, it's, 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 if you're looking for a metaphor, it's kind of like someone um, after a breakup, right? you know, going on the rebound and going with someone who looks and sounds like the person they broke up with and expecting them to kind of have that same, and, you know, basically saying that I'm not that person, I'm someone else. And we're not this, 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 this you had that thing, that person is gone. And 
I'm not her, so don't expect this to be a. Mm-hmm. And just so we're aware, I my pink haired tattooed self looks nothing like any of Brandon's exes. No, so. <laughs> no, not. You're much prettier. So let's just take a break, and then we will talk about our overall feelings and how we feel about the ending of uh, ending of the Guardians Galaxy. Hey, kids, you want to be cool? Then I'll tell you how to be cool. Wear shoes. Shoes are cool. Shoes go on your feet. They protect your feet. That's what they do. That's why they're shoes. Buy shoes. I want everyone to know that he took off his shoe and picked it up. I most, I most certainly did not. It's sitting over here in the pile. Okay. So, so but I you did pick up the shoe. I did pick up the shoe. I was, I was vanning it. Yes. So is um, vanning even a word? It is now, Noah Webster. I just precedented it. So let's talk about the visuals of this movie. Does it hold up? Oh my God. The the visuals of, uh, I feel sometimes one of the, one of the movies our youngest likes to go to sleep to is Zootopia. Yes. And I, I sometimes I feel like we're living in an age where you can be so detailed and create such, um, immaculate worlds that they're almost too good because it's like there's so much detail you can't i've watched that movie probably close to a hundred times and i swear i see new details yeah i want to live in zootopia and i feel like that's kind of the thing we're in now uh with especially the visuals these films are the different locations the different worlds the different spaceships Mm -hmm are all so detailed and so unique to whatever culture I mean, they're in. It's almost too much that you have trouble taking it all in. Yeah. I am. This is why the list of special effects artists on these things now. Yeah. The majority of the credits. Yes. Um. Okay. So- I'm going to, I'm going to jump in here on that real quick. Two post-credit sequences on this thing. One mid-credit and one final credit. And, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, the only problem, the only real problem I have with this movie is that that final post-credit sequence was not worth me holding my pee for that extra 30 minutes. All right. I had to go and I'm waiting to go post-credit. And it's like Star-Lord eating fucking cereal. Well, I mean, not I'm like, just like, it wasn't just that. He was with his grandpa. He brought up the conversation of his uncle. I feel like the uncle is going to come back in somewhere. Plus, there was something on the news. Oh, on the front of the newspaper had the joke about Kevin Bacon. Yes. You know, so anyway, still not to the scenery. Because I have heard this rant and read it on Facebook from him multiple times. Um, so Orga Corp, Orgo Corp, where they go to find out the information about Rocket. Um, that this is something they did in Ant-Man too. This concept of organic technology. So you have all of these high-tech things, but they're also like living. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Organic matter that is like surrounding you and growing and interacting. And it, kind of fascinates and grosses me out at the same time. Um, (laughs) uh, But it was really cool, like really well done. I just don't know that I want to watch people hacking through like heart tissue to get into the (laughs) Orgo Corp. Uh, but once we got into Orgo Corp, we had, of course, Nathan Fillion. Nathan has, yeah, his his most master his most standout cameo in a gardening film yet. He's been in all three of them, but Yes, like this, I believe they wrote this specifically for I mean, they him. could not. Uh, it was the most Nathan Fillion-y character yes. ever. Um, and we say that as fans of Nathan yes, Fillion. Yes, this is not a diss. No, I named my daughter after Firefly, and and I uh, I don't miss an episode of The Rookie. So. Yeah. Um, Master Karga is who he's playing in this, and it's just like there's this this bit he does about not liking his his employee that's like all he yeah it's like his whole character yeah but 
Um, pretty like the the whole scene there in Orgo Corp is pretty interesting, but also nice was seeing one of our uh, guys from Superstore. Yeah, um, Mateo. Mateo, who is uh, who is played by Nico Santos, was uh, is a high evolutionary sidekick. Now let's uh let's delve into that because I had some thoughts on like so what did you think of the high evolutionary as a as an antagonist as a villain? So the high evolutionary to me is the kind of villain that's kind of like we watch wrestling and and the AEW has this care this group on right now called the Blackpool Combat Club. And they're the kind of villains that are the scariest because they could actually exist. Mm. Um the kind of bullies that are relentless and don't like to be stopped. Uh and so the high evolutionary kind of feels that way to me, like somebody who believes that humans are not good enough and they have to keep constantly evolving. And it's a very racist, ableist, sexist viewpoint. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, it, it's the kind of modern villain that actually scares me. What about you? Um, I we we talked about this a little bit when we were talking about Ant Man. Is that we're getting into a point now with Marvel villains until they finally do their Fantastic Four or they finally do their X Men and they bring in like Doctor Doom and Magneto. We're getting into a point now where they're starting to use their more obscure, mind fucky um, characters like Kang the Conqueror, like the High Evolutionary. These are characters that are their continuity and their history is so damn convoluted. So just, they've been used as MacGuffins and problem solvers. Anytime something weird happens, well, Kang did it, time travel. And the, the, the high evolutionary has been like that as well. It's like, oh, we got to explain this weird thing. Oh, the high evolutionary did it. You know, um, there's, there's things that he made the X-Men or... That one that they've, they, I think recently they've tried to rejigger uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver's origin so that they're not mutants, but the high evolutionary made them, mm. you know. So, but anyway, what I'm getting at is that um, we're getting into that point. And of the two, I think the high evolutionary, especially in this film, is just a much superior villain to the Kang we saw in. I would agree. Like, and apparently he survived. Right. Which so is, is going to be interesting coming up into this next wave of MCU with the trouble that Jonathan Majors has found himself in mm -hmm. recently. Like, is, are they going to have to pivot? And if they have to pivot, is that a direction they can go? I think it is. And I, I, I honestly would say I find the high evolutionary far more interesting than Kang. Right. Even just in the one film that he's been in, the the character, the actor, his yes. his driving force, his resources, I feel he is a more Thanos level threat than than Kang is. So scary about that guy who is super intellectual and seems calm and nice and and you know even keeled until until his plan goes wrong and he just like blows everything or out. even just revealing kind of like I say he seems all nice and wonderful um until you really think about what his plan is or what he's what his ultimate goal is yeah our middle kid has been reading the giver series and that really kind of kind of is the same concept of you know unless it's perfect destroy it you know um it really just that's really scary yeah um and i think that like the concept that he thinks he is doing something good for the universe see that's that's what i really liked about this villain is it never i never got the feeling kind of like they did with thanos that i'm doing this because it's right it's just that i'm doing it because i want to because I think I can, because I so therefore I'm going to. I never got the feeling that it was a he had some nobler, um, t yet twisted 
ideology. It was, I can do this, so I'm going to, and right, I don't but care. I mean, he does have a twisted ideology. Like, that, I mean, that's that goes without saying. But nothing I could, that in my opinion, you could really twist into sympathetic or understandable. Like, you know, again, as evil as Thanos was, this thing of there's not enough resources. Right. You know, you could see where his mind would have been twisted into this I, yeah, I, and justify I, the means kind of mentality. Right. Whereas the high evolutionary is just like, I can twist this creature, so I'm going to. And, and just, then just, I'm just going to destroy and just see And just see if I can keep improving on it, because, you know, why not? Also, <laughs> what, talking about the worlds again, the world, the, what did they call it? New Earth? Was it? Yeah. New, um, the creatures on New Earth were just like, you couldn't stop looking at them. Yeah. You know, Some good makeup there. Yeah, because they are animals, but human, you know, kind of this mixture. And it's just so intriguing. And then the next batch of creatures he has going with the little kids. Mm-hmm. Um, like children of the corn, only not. Super cute, but super creepy <laughs> uh, so, yeah. just like kids just like kids yes um so yeah just like you said before fascinating world building and 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 uh detailed work that they're doing yeah so i but I, so i feel like i, I want to give a shout out to the high evolutionary as a villain and i i almost wish i know that would cause them they'd have to change a lot of whatever their plans are but if, if they have to go a different way because of jonathan majors i think the high evolutionary is actually a better fit in my opinion i think he's yeah. more interesting because i don't know how you would replace kang the conqueror i, I mean you could get a new actor that's easy enough right. they've, do, they've yeah. done that before but you know and you could you, you don't even have to explain it but you're gonna go up oh, time travel boom <laughs> you know i mean that's that's what kang was supposed to be just a big deus ex machina you know, huh, how'd that work? Oh, time travel. Holy shit. So in the scheme of things, with this being the third movie of the trilogy, do you feel like they wrapped up the loose ends they needed to wrap up? I think so. Okay. I think they... Um, what I liked about this one is, in terms of a, of a conclusion, is I like how it is kind of a conclusion to a story, but you don't feel like... Um, it's a, it's the end of the characters. I hate, I hate series finales of television shows. Yeah. I, even shows I love, I will very rarely watch the last episode because, you know, usually it ends with everybody breaking up, everybody going off in their own direction. Yeah. And, you know, I always want to feel like the characters I love are still out there doing the thing that they love to do. I'm just not seeing new, new adventures anymore. Right. And what I kind of like about this one is, yeah, yeah, the family, the core guardians kind of all start going their separate ways. They start doing different things. But the guardians are still around. There's still a new team. Everybody's still out there. So you know that if they needed to, they could all get, back. get back together. And even if it never happens, the, the door is open. I like, spoiler alert, you know, they didn't kill anybody. Right. They made you think they were going to. But they don't. And I, I like that it's like everybody's still here and the adventures are still going to happen just yeah. different ways. And you'll probably see these characters again. Yeah, I for sure thought that Drax was dead. At one point. I thought they were going to kill Drax. Yeah, because yeah. he's he was the only one who says, I'm done. So I thought, oh, they're probably going to kill him. Did Adam Warlock, does he, he, does he show up in other things? Like, well, he's one of the he's one of Marvel's cosmic heroes, so yeah, he'll whenever Thanos or some or Galactus or I, I don't know, I find the space stuff in comic books very boring, so I don't pay as much attention. Which so, is interesting because you're a Trekkie. Yeah, but um, uh, but, but uh, yeah, Adam Warlock shows up from time to time. I thought that was such a fun little twist for Will Poulter. Yeah, like I think that he's kind of an actor who deserves a little bit more. Like I think we're going to be seeing more from him. Mm. Um, of course, Batista knocked it out of the park. Um, I don't think there was a bad performance. I don't think there's anybody you can kind of point at and go, oh, that was terrible. Uh, yeah, 
you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, Vin Diesel always does his thing. Yeah. Uh, Best performance Vin Diesel's ever given. <laughs> I mean, Vin Diesel is, a, is an actor, and I'm saying that with quotes, um, who, like, is known for movies where he just kind of says one word over and over again. Family. Family. This is my family. Don't mess with my family. So I, he's been well cast here as Groot. I enjoy, well, Vin Diesel is what, Batista is what Vin Diesel wishes he was. Yes, very much so. Anyways, um, Palm Clementine, who plays Mantis, I think doesn't get enough credit either. No. Because she really makes you feel for this character who doesn't, like, have a lot of seeming depth. You know, outside of this chipper attitude. I kind of felt like she was the glue of this film. I yeah. felt like she she really held everything together. That she was kind of the focal point. That everything kind of went back to, you know, all yeah. the different storylines kind of intersected through. So I felt like she, she was very vital to this film. Yes. I think there was a lot of really good uh, jokes and interactions. And uh, I don't think it disappointed at all. I definitely cried through yeah. the last... I, I, I'm not going to lie. There are some moments I got a little teary-eyed. Yeah, mm. but then you'd like start laughing at me because I'm sitting over there. Just because just because you cry a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. You knew what you were getting into. I did. Okay. I did. I never. <laughs> uh, so, any any last thoughts? Anything else you want to talk about um, Guardians-wise? Not really. I think, I think, I mean, I've really been stretching to kind of think, okay, what, you know, what wasn't great about this movie? What didn't work? And I can't really. I think it was everything you were kind of hoping for for a last outing for for a popular film series. And I feel like it wrapped up things without feeling like it was pandering. Yeah, like the the only thing I could possibly get into is like it's a fucking three hour long. Oh gosh! Movie. Oh my gosh! Yes, it is a very long movie. And there are certain. It has a little bit of Lord of the Rings problems there, where it's like. You're watching like, okay, so they, they just got off of the spaceship. So that's got to be the, nope, nope, that those people are still on the spaceship. So we got to, <laughs> we got to go back. Okay. So the movie's not over yet. Okay. Okay. So now this happened. So that, that's got to be the end. Nope. Nope. Still going. You know? uh, so, um, so which is not really a problem unless you live in a small town like we do and you get out expecting to go to dinner because you yeah. get to a six o'clock show. And by the time you get out of the theater, everything's closed again. Yes, exactly. The town that feared sundown uh, um but i mean that all being true that all being said i can't think of anything no. really in the negative you know, to, to to mark this i film. am not a fan of chris pratt as a person no i think his last name is pretty accurate for him but i can't fault his performances in these movies and honestly his performances in general. Andy Dwyer from Parks and Rec is one of my favorite television characters of all time. So, yeah. I mean, as long as I don't have to listen to Chris Pratt as a person and just see him in movies, I'm okay. All right. So, all right. So what do you think, honey bun? Final grade for this one? Um, you know, I feel like I'm handing them out a little bit too easily these days. Maybe I've softened up. Maybe I'm not the the mean mountain lion I Love once was. Has ruined you. But uh, you know, I I will give this one an A plus. I'll go along with the the popular consent. I think it, like I say, a little long, but you know that's what they make pause buttons for. So I mean, <laughs> it's it's. You know, it's it's a good film. It get, it's everything. It, it gives you all the bang for your buck. It's not leaving anything on the table. So I'm gonna actually, you know, hell might freeze over, but you know, mm -hmm. I'm gonna agree with you. What? On this one. I know. Uh, I think it was a fun outing. It was touching, like you said, depth without being, you know, shoving it in your face. And and uh, I definitely like will rewatch this one mm -hmm. yeah you know so um i i think this was a, a really good sayonara to our characters here or to our storyline yeah at least. So, so all right all right so that was way to go mcu all right so, yeah. it out of the park again yeah and you know what i don't I, i've seen all these tiktoks all the you know, people they're still bad mouth in the latest batch of mcu things and saying this is like a return to form i don't think that's true i think the MCU is still good 
Um, this is just the thing with the MCU is that they have good things and they have great things. Well, and I and this is one of the great ones. We we've talked about this before. MCU has things for different types of people. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're into spy movies, you're gonna like Black Widow. If you're into like fun romps with uh, a lot of sarcastic comedy, you're gonna like Ant Man. You know. Mm -hmm. So not everything's going to be yep. Captain America Civil War. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So people just need to get over it and learn that there are people who are different than them in the world. Also, you know, a lot of these people are just whiny because like there's girls and people of color and gay. Oh, yeah, definitely. Them, yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. Can't help but notice that with the, that well, a lot of these more female led oh, things. They're like, <laughs> When they say true to form, they mean white cis men. Okay. My, my penis is shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that it's good if I don't want to screw them. <laughs> Anyways. Anywho. Um, so, uh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy 3. <laughs> that was a weird note to end on. Yep. Stay so, tuned. So we got, we got a lot we're, got, we're getting through we today. We a lot we're, backlog that so, we are going to be. And then, and then we're adding more. So, like, we're, we're really... Yeah. Anyway, but uh, yes, yeah, so that so that's one down. So thank you all for joining us. Thanks for coming along. We'll be back for us in a few minutes. For you, who knows? Uh, but we'll <laughs> be back to talk about some more movies we've missed. And we're back on the air. So thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming along. Thank you, my love, for all you do. And <laughs> as always, drive safe, and we'll see you at the movies. Mm -hmm.